Hello, everyone, and welcome back to SALT Talks. My name is John Darcy. I'm the Managing Director of SALT, which is a global thought leadership forum and networking platform at the intersection of finance, technology, and public policy. SALT Talks are a digital interview series with leading investors, creators, and thinkers. And our goal on these SALT Talks is the same as our goal at our SALT conferences, which is to provide a window into the mind of subject matter experts, as well as provide a platform for what we think are big ideas that are shaping the future. And we're very excited today to welcome a great investor who's investing in a lot of those big ideas that we love to focus on here at SALT, and that's Valerie Mosley. Uh, Val created Valmo Ventures to advise and invest in companies that add value both to investors and to society. Uh, she also recently founded BrightUp, which is a fintech company focused on democratizing wealth building and well-being. Uh, she currently serves on several boards, including Eaton Vance's family of mutual funds, DraftKings, Groupon, and InvestNet. Uh, previously, she was a senior vice president, partner, portfolio manager, and investment strategist at Wellington Management Company, which if you're not familiar uh, and you're in the industry, they're about a $1 trillion global money management firm. Uh, Val is also on the board of New Profit, which is a philanthropic uh, venture capital firm. Valerie was named UK's Powerlist International Person of the Year in 2017, and also one of the 50 most powerful women in business and one of the top 75 African-Americans on Wall Street by Black Enterprise Magazine. Hosting today's talk is Anthony Scaramucci, who's the founder and managing partner of Skybridge Capital, which is a global alternative investment firm. Anthony's also the chairman of SALT. And with that, I'll turn it over to Anthony for the interview. Well, Valerie, it is great to have you on. We very much so appreciate it. And so what John didn't say is that we get ratings on Salt Talk because of him. So that was he was trying to say. It was, it was a subtle undercurrent of that. It's totally fine. But you are a contemporary of mine. So I'm counting on you to have a two-on-one sort of combated relationship here during this Salt Talk. But before we get there, tell me something that we wouldn't know about Val Mosley, if we didn't, you know, let's say you've got everything you can think of on Google, Wikipedia, what would we not know about Val Mosley? It's the old fashioned question away from social media, Val. Right. I'm a lover of life. I'm, I'm a grateful giver. I'm the youngest of four from Tuskegee, Alabama. I lived in Germany. I studied in Kenya. I lived in a dung hut. I taught financial literacy in Roxbury and Dorchester. And uh, I think those are some of the things. And I love leading and giving. And so things that might not show up. I brought together when I was at Duke University as a freshman, conversations between white and black, because so many people told me I was the first black person that they had ever met. And so I decided to have this conversation. I put signs up everyone, race relations. And I did that when I was 18. That's not on the resume. I just like bringing people together to talk what did and you, have different views. What did you learn from that? But you know, you know, so you're 18, you are working on race relations. And so what did you learn from that? I learned that everyone at the end of the day wants the same thing. And they have different perspectives. 
And the perspective is not necessarily fact, it's a narrative. And it's important to make sure that we have conversations so that generalizations are taken away and people can connect with the person. So in the middle of this crazy talk, there is a gentleman who didn't really like the fact that I was having it. Do you know what he says? He happens to be African-American, happened to be from a rough part of town. This is a long time ago. He said something crazy like, if I had a gun right now, I would shoot every white person in this large circle. I'm 18, <laughs> I'm a freshman. And I said, wow, you know what? It's probably, I'm glad you had the, you felt like you could share how you feel. It's good that you're able to share how you feel. It's also good that people know that not everyone that looks like him feels the same thing and vice versa. So it's like the markets, there's a bid and an ask and there are people, it's like the markets or politics, there are different views. And what we have to do is just keep our spirit and our ears open enough to be able to hear somebody's view and still be very centered in your own. And I was really surprised that we're still having these conversations today. You thought it was gonna be better. When you were a kid at 18, you're like, all right, there's some racial tension here, but you know, X number of years later, it's going to be a lot better. I did. I didn't want to date. I didn't want to date you or I, because I'm lying to people about my age, Val. So I didn't want to date how far back that was. So, but it was a long time ago, and you do look like a baby, by the way. Well, I mean, thank. I want to personally thank my dermatologist and all the Botox injections that he's given me over the years. Yes, it's working for you. Yes, exactly. And at the time, I didn't sense that there was tension. It was just that somebody didn't know. They said that I was the only black person that they had met outside of their nanny. And I thought, wow, this is Duke. This is a long time ago. This is 1970s, late 70s. Um, And I thought, let's just get together and talk so we can get to know each other. Better or worse today from those talks, race relations, better or worse today? I think I think better. Yet economically, in some cases, it's worse. But better, I, I would say better. Well, I mean, you know, look, we had Don Lemon. He's a very good friend of mine on uh, the CNN anchor. Sure. Uh, he feels it's better. Uh, and if you, he wrote, he wrote a very fascinating, best-selling book about it. Mm-hmm. Um, he said that in a weird way, Trump has exposed a lot of stuff that was going on, and perhaps that could even make it better. Um, before I get into my other questions, though, I want to go to Roxbury, Massachusetts, because uh, that's the south side of Boston, primarily African-American community. I went to Tufts. My roommate, Raul Silva, uh, was from Roxbury, Massachusetts. So I know a lot about Roxbury. How did you end up in Roxbury, Massachusetts? I believe that to whom much is given, much is required. And I just feel like I've been so blessed in my life. And I realize that education is power. And you asked me earlier, what's different about me? What, what somebody would know is that the first part of my life, I grew up in inner city Philly until I was 12. And the second part, my father was in the service uh, in the army. And when he came out of Vietnam and service as a major, he was given some stock options to become the head of security at the Franklin Mint in Philadelphia. And those stock options went up in value. And that gave him the opportunity to move his family of four with his wife to another area, which is still Philadelphia, but surrounded by grass instead of cement. And that exposure made all the difference in the world. 
um, to me because it started planting seeds of what was possible. So I felt like I'd been really blessed. I'm at Wellington. I'm a partner. I'm managing billions of dollars. Let me make sure that I share what I wish I had learned. And I met some teachers and they told me about their class. And so my son and I went over and just started teaching financial literacy. And we started showing showing the power of compounding interest. How much could you make? Like literally somebody that's 16, you'll appreciate this. We're in Roxbury, we're in the class. I say, how much can you make during the summer? And I asked two different classes and they said, oh, we could, I said, and save. They thought um, $1,200 at the time. I said that $100 a month, let's, 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 let's push this out. $100 a month, can you make $25 a week? You put that in the calculator at 16, $100 a month, by the time, I mean, and by the time they would retire, I know it's a long time, if they just did that and they never changed that, they would have saved roughly $80,000 and they would have made $725,000. And there's being able to see what was free money was really impactful. And suddenly they understood compounding. They, they understood convexity. They understood things that helped them with their math. And so we, we worked with the Federal Reserve and started teaching the teachers how to teach the kids the M in money and the math behind the magic of growing money. And that's what brought me there. It was fun. So it's, it's fascinating. You know, I always tell the kids about the magic penny. You know, remember that conversation? Yeah. If I gave you $10,000 a day for 30 days or a magic penny that doubles yes. every day for 30 days. Well, you start out not doing so well, but you're you get $10.8 million at the end of the 30 days if you have the penny, uh, which sort of reinforces it for kids. Yes, yeah, so let me go back to why leave Wellington? You have this fabulous career. You're doing amazingly well there. So why leave Wellington and strike out on your own? That's a really, really good question. I love Wellington. It's a phenomenal firm. It, it has, uh, it's, it's a trillion dollar plus asset management firm. I still have a very good relationship there. I believe that to whom much is given, we talked about this before, much is required. And, and, and I just felt like I loved what I was doing. I'm adding value to portfolios but I, and for clients, but I felt like my wingspan was a little bigger and I wanted to add value to society and to life. And sometimes you, you can get put in a box in a firm. And I just if you're an investor, you, you're betting all day. You have a view and you take a bet. And I just wanted to bet on me. You live this life once and there are other things that I felt like I can do. And I just wanted the time to do it and try it. And you know what happened? I had this conversation with my daughter and I said, you know what? I'm very spiritual. I said, my instincts have never led me wrong. And I said, and something tells me I'm supposed to leave. And I said, but I have three children. I'm a single mom. You guys are about to, two were in college. You're about to go to college. And she says to me in the morning, you trust your instincts. Either you trust it or you don't. And I just started laughing as I, she left to go on to, to uh, she was leaving to go to, to uh, high school. And I told her later that it's one thing if you're walking across, I told her this too, if you're walking across, uh, uh, I said, let's say that we're at the, um, the Grand Canyon and, and you've got to walk across it on a rather narrow, and you practice it all the time, but it's a narrow board that you're walking past. And, and I said, and if, you, if it's over the Grand Canyon, the risks are different. And so you have to have risk adjusted returns. And her quip at the time was either you trust your instincts or you don't, mom. And I just felt like 
Most people who are upset at the end of their life, there's a study that was done for people who are in their 90s and their 80s. What do they regret? They don't regret what they tried. They don't regret what they tried and failed. They regret what they never got to try. And I knew that there were some things inside of me that I just wanted to try and I couldn't do it while I was at Wellington. And one of the things I wanted to do is to take my kids on this trip around the world at a time when they could, they're three and a half years apart. So the day after I left Wellington, Wellington um, gifted part of it, I took them on this trip around the world because I wanted to expose them to things. What was the most fascinating place in the world that you travel to with your kids? You get you get high marks for Italy, by the way. I'm just going to point that out, but you don't yeah, 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 necessarily yeah. say Italy. Although you could name one of the grandkids, Anthony. You're just pointing that out as well. Oh, exactly. Okay. What what was the what was the best place? The Middle East in general was just fascinating because we were in Jordan during Ramadan. We went to Israel. The tension in Israel was just incredible between the different groups, and you can't read about it. We heard about Palestinians saying that they don't get water during the middle of the week. And we don't hear about that. And then we went to um, uh, um, uh, a, a traditional um, dinner on Friday and skipping the name. Um, we were in the we went to a Hasidic Jews family's dinner and the family members there didn't know what was happening either. So it was for me, it was just fascinating to be in the small place like Israel, which was just beautiful, that those who were there felt very strongly about certain things, but they were unaware of what I was hearing from the workers who happened to be Palestinian around the rationing of the water. That was fascinating. Um, in Jordan, we went to the, uh, my friend was, uh, Stu Jones went to Duke and he was the ambassador to Jordan. And we got to go to, the uh, refugee camps and see the technology where people were using the irises as a way of identifying who's who, so who should get funding or not. So the technology in the Middle East, and we just loved, I just love the pyramids. It's just a really fast, it's the only of the seven original wonders of the world that remain in order of magnitude. And so my kids, in terms of structure, they enjoy that in terms of the people, um, they enjoyed, they, they enjoyed, I should ask them, they enjoyed Trinidad and they enjoyed meeting people that knew each other from college at this dinner in Jordan. And that was sort of interesting to see how small the world can be. Um, it's great. It's great stuff. And, no, and, I, and, I, and the, in and, the, you know, the, the Israelis obviously dispute that with the Palestinians, but the Palestinians, if you go into their territory, they have those big black water vessels on their rooftops to protect themselves because they are getting their municipal water from the uh, the state of Israel. So I don't right. know. It's, so it's, that's it's, that. it's a hard it's a hard issue. I'll tell you, I it, you know, you would love to see these people get along because they're descendants of each other, you know, but. And it's yeah. the same thing with the uh, blacks and whites. There's really only one human. There's really only one race. It's the human race. We we have to try to figure out a way to do this. You know? It is it is one race. And and as someone, as you as 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 an investor, right? There is a bid. There's an ask. There's a viewpoint that says, how do you value this? 
but everyone wants the same thing. So when we were driving around with this Christian Palestinian, he was pointing out the green parts on the roof. And he says, this roof shows that that suggests that they're getting water regularly. We don't get water regularly. And I said, that can't be. I just thought that can't be. And then when we were in this very nice hotel, I decided to ask some of the workers and they said, yeah, it's true. And I was surprised by that. And then when I asked the people who were living in Israel, they didn't know. I found that just really fascinating. Um, it's a separate issue. It's a complicated issue. It's a charged issue. Um, and I, I personally found that interesting. But my son studied in, in Spain and we got a chance to in, in, in Sedagosa and we got to meet with his mother and father and his family and some of the people he studied with. And that that was a highlight as well. So you've got this social conscience, you got this purpose in your life, you've obviously done amazingly well, and you're starting uh, a company now called, you've started it, of course, you founded the company called Bright Up, uh, which is aimed at democratizing wealth and building people's well-being, and you're also trying to bring financial wellness to underserved populations. So tell us about how it's going, tell us about your vision for this and how you're going to execute. Thank you very much. It's a B2B to C company. Again, yes, democratizing wealth building and well-being. What we know is that stress is the number one cause of the cost that companies have related outside of benefit costs. It's 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 stress related. And the number one source of stress is financially related. And one of the things that I did at Wellington is that I chaired the firm's industry strategy group. And you can imagine that a long time ago, the high yield group was not talking to the small cap manager. Even though there was a lot of information in the fixed income markets regarding credit default swaps that wasn't altogether obvious or within the consideration of equity investors. And so post telecom debacle, when analysts were still saying, buy AT&T over Sprint, the CEO and my boss said, you know what, I think we need an industry strategy group. And so we put this together and it was great where for the first time, people who were investing in silos got together and we decided to have a longer term view, strategically thinking about what are headwinds that are facing some industries and tailwinds propelling others. So when I left, I did the same thing. And if you look at wealth, I think that there are a couple of challenges out there. We have we have a, we have additional pandemics, um, Anthony. I think it's uh, low self-worth and low net worth. So I started peeling apart. What are some of the challenges around building the wealth? And it's pretty amazing that right now, 69% of all Americans struggle to make a $1,000 unexpected expenditure. 69%. It's not a small issue. Then I started to look a little more closely and I found out that if you look at the income growth, real wages over the long run, the top 20% of earners have had a healthy increase in income. The bottom 80%, so let's talk about what is underserved. The bottom 80%, the growth has been really quite marginal. And I can Not to interrupt, but why do you think that is, Val? Why is there an income differential? And why, why have we seen one group growing and the other one stagnating? I think it has to do with information and access. 
And so I talked to you a little bit about my story in growing from um, sort of a gang infested Philly to a space where you have more opportunity. There's more information. It's information. There's trust. There's education. There's the cost. And so let's let's double click on that for a second. If the revenue is growing really rapidly for the top 20 percent of earners, and it's, um, I'll give you some numbers. The top 1% had a growth over the last 40 years of 345%. That's the top 0.1%. The top 1% real wage growth over the last 40 years has been 160%. The bottom 90% has grown 26% over the last 40% in real wages. Now that's using the regular CPI. If we look at the components of the CPI, the components of the CPI for um, medical care is only 8.9%, but the medical care costs have grown over 100% and since 2000. So if you were to take what people are experiencing, the medical costs, the housing costs, and the educational costs, it soared. So on a usage of justice basis, the earnings of the bottom 90% of Americans has actually been pretty mild. At, and, 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 and you asked me another question that's something that you might not know. I'm the youngest of four. My brother was four years, excuse me, 10 years my senior, Jamie Carlton Mosley, called him Jamie. He loved me and I adored him. My sister is nine years my senior. She went to Villanova. While I'm at Wellington doing quite well, figuring out strategy stuff and investing and loving it, I learned that my brother is unbanked. And I heard about the unbanked. He went to school and then he left for reasons unique to our family and, um, the, and, and his situation. And he struggled a bit financially and he's such a good person. So his current level of wealth shouldn't define his worth or his worthiness to learn how to become more financially healthy. So I say, come on, Jamie, let's get banked. And he gets banked and he's so conscientious. He's so conscientious. And then he doesn't realize though, that if his, if his income goes below a certain amount, they start charging fees. And so he had thought he had money in the bank, spent it, not very much. I think it was $25 and he had an overdraw. And, and that overdraw drawn fee was quite high. I think it was 30 or $35. He was devastated the whole weekend. He's like, ah, something's really wrong. I go downtown and I find out that my children, I'm at the bank. My three children are not nearly as conscientious. They're late teenagers and their account was a tie to mine that they overdrew and they were not nearly as conscientious. And I say, oh my man, I've got to talk to my children. I, I'm telling my banker this. And she's like, no problem, click. And she erases it. And these fees, each one of them had some of them. And so the fees are approaching $200. She said, can you, we'll can you adopt that. my children, by the way? Because I get hit with this, I would say twice a week. So I'm yeah. going to drop them off. I'll drop off my adult children at your home later today. Yeah, come on. Because yeah. we need to do, we, we need to teach but them. Hopefully you have a wooden spoon in there somewhere where you're going to whack them. For exactly. Them. I said, I'm going to talk to these kids. And she says, no problem. She wipes it out because I'm perceived as a profitable client. Right. And what happens is because the asset management, the wealth management industry, nothing's wrong with the wealth management industry. They get paid a percentage of the assets that they manage. So they focus on people who already have assets and the top 10% of asset owners, stocks and bonds um, own 84% of, this, of, 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 of those assets. 
And so naturally, they're going to focus on those who have the assets. I get it. But there's but a blind spot. Because I was saying this the other day, you know, and I remember this when I was in school. I was at Harvard Law School. I was like, you guys think you're that much smarter than the kids in my neighborhood? You're actually not, okay? I've got buddies of mine putting in sheetrock and clamming out in Oyster Bay that are as smart as you. They just didn't have access to the same environment or through luck and trial and tribulation, they didn't end up like me dropping into that environment. Some of it was accidental, some of it was providential. You know, so I, so I agree with you, widening the Exposure. access. Widening the access is super important, you know? And access and information. And now technology is a game changer. So I'm on the board of InvestNet. InvestNet's a great firm. They, they, they fuel and support a third of the independent registered investment advisors. So the, at $4 trillion on the asset management platform. And I shared with the CEO this, um, the color of wealth study by the Boston Fed. What do you think the median wealth might be for white families in the Boston area? Net worth. Most Net worth. Well, oh, I would say 700,000 probably way off. But. Okay, but it's okay, it's a guess. Um, they over-index, and this, your, your, your response is common, actually, uh, because they over-index to national average, and when this report came out, it was 250,000. Okay. And that's higher than the national average. Okay. What do you, what do you think it might be? It's the, it's a, they did a study of its kind, a rare one, one in Boston, one in Los Angeles. What do you think the net worth would be for African-American families, just to use it as an example? Well, you know, I'm going to say something, then it's probably going to reflect poorly on me for saying, but I think it's very oh. low, probably 10,000, less than no. 10,000. And actually, you're in the right direction. Okay. So it doesn't reflect negatively on you. It's just an unfortunate fact. The answer was $8. $8, okay. 250000 to $8. And right. I didn't know that either. I said, you've got to be kidding me. Well, let me let me just say something that's very obvious to you and obvious to me. So that that creates some anger. Yeah. You know, I mean, we, we I'm not, I, you don't have to go to 1619 and go through the whole story of racial injustice in the United States for 400 years. You can just look at the current economic situation and look at the access and the information and look at the, you know, the institutions that we've set up that they benefit certain people and don't benefit other people. And that would create naturally some level of dissatisfaction. Is oh, that fair to say? A hundred percent. That's it's fair to say. Um, and I think I'm pretty analytical. I like to think about, as you say, what causes these things? Sometimes it's trust, it's information, it's access to education. Um, and but there's some things that are changing right now that leave me really optimistic. And again, everyone wants to be able to earn a livable wage and be able to take care of their families. And it's more challenging for some more than others. And one of the things that I'm really excited about, we talked about um, Bright Up. I believe that we can give more people access to wealth building strategies. And so Bright Up is a platform that offers a suite of services and make it avail and we make it available to communities and corporations. So B to B to C is 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 really business to 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 business corporations, but also organizations because you want to trust people, and most people don't have access to investment advisors because of how the pricing structure works. And we think we can change that. Bring in advisors, bring in fairly priced capital, and 
bring in education and information. And so we're really excited about that. And you asked the question about the ROI. How does that benefit the employer? One, we think it's gonna help with turnover and that's lower turnover. There's the business roundtable where 183 companies said that they aren't going to operate just for the benefit of their shareholders. They care about stakeholders. And two of the five statements there reference their employees. If you care about your employees, all of your employees, why not bring them benefits that will help them on the financial side? They don't get a lot of support. You don't get, as you mentioned, you don't get financial literacy in school and you don't get financial support outside of school for the most part, if you're in a certain wealth bracket. And I'm saying the bottom 80% of wealth um, creators and earners. And, And one other thing I wanted to bring up to you, I don't know if you wanted to bring this up. I love studying the markets and where people and where you get the biggest returns is if you can go do your your research, if you can go where others aren't. So Mike Milken, bless his soul, was brilliant at the time. And I know some people have different views about Mike. I think he's a genius in many ways. Mike Milken identified that there was an opportunity because banks wouldn't lend to companies that were rated below triple B. So I did some research and discovered a $3 billion case study, $3 billion in conjunction with a top five bank for lending for credit, um, for debt consolidation. Corporations can reduce their debt. Countries reduce their cost of debt. Why can't individuals reduce their cost of debt? And for many people, if they have any dent on their FICO scores, which is very unforgiving, you can't get access to fairly priced capital. So there's a company that put $3 billion to work in conjunction with a top five bank, $3 billion, 50% of those loans, the bank said no to 650 scores and below. No, we aren't going to lend to, but this, this, this algorithm, the analytics said that they could separate the willingness to pay from the ability to pay and said that these guys were ranked prime. They went ahead and gave the loans what do you, and the loan losses were less than 3%. That's exciting. This is for debt consolidation. So if you have somebody has 27% credit card debt and you want to refinance it at 12%, you just free up a lot of capital. And the lenders um, had less than 3% loss. So I think that that is a huge opportunity. Right, so you're going to disintermediate the space, and you're going to help people that are underbanked or perhaps lopsided in the in the credit card area. Um, I uh, I have to turn it over to this erstwhile millennial shortly, so I want to ask you a boomer question, if it's okay, because we're both sure. baby boomers. Um, did we screw things up? Because you know, you go back to what you said about yourself at 18, or when I was 18. I had this impression of us as a generation that we were going to make things better. When I look upon the society now, I think of the debt that we took on and the way the politicians overpromised and overspent and the fracture that we have in our society. Do we make things better as baby boomers or we make things worse? That's an interesting question, Anthony. I think that we're imperfect beings. So there's some things we did well, 
And there's some things we didn't do so well. Take a look at John Dorsey when you're saying that. Does he look imperfect to you? Look at John Dorsey with that shocking blonde hair and that big smile. Does he look imperfect? He does not look imperfect at all. But no, I think I think that um, we we've made some mistakes, but I don't think we messed it up. I don't think there's a lot that we get from blaming. And instead, the mirror image of a crisis is an opportunity. And so where we've misstepped, we have the opportunity to learn. And 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 that's what I'm excited about. I'm actually really optimistic. You mentioned you mentioned Trump. One of my fellow partners said, you know what? I think Trump is as is, is, is one of the best things that could have happened to this country. Well, Don, you know Lemon, Don Lemon believes that. But, yeah, tell us what. Well, things that were hidden are now have yes. now surfaced and and. In any process, it it starts with let's just be honest with where we are. Yeah, and so acknowledge have, the problem. Yeah, I. We have insights on so many different levels about. So you're giving a pass. You're giving a pass to our generation. You're saying we're okay. We didn't. We didn't. You know, twenty seven yeah. trillion dollars of debt, but it's no problem. And you know, we have this wealth and income disparity in the country which really, you know, started in the Reagan era and has been exacerbated over 40 years. You know what? You're not, you're giving us a policy pass and you're giving us a. No, I wouldn't say that that's fair. All right. So tell me, tell me what's fair. I want to be fair. Okay. Um, I have a tendency and a bias to give people the benefit of the doubt in general. And so I think that people tend to react to their world. And if you were in your bubble, you were so unaware of what's happening elsewhere. And if you're unaware, you don't respond. So what I'm very interested in is compounding compassion and compounding interests and teaching other people to do that, but compound compassion, because if you widen your lens just a little bit, then you will see and learn that the median, things like the median costs for a payday loan at a time when interest rates are zero, is 391%. That's unconscionable. And that's only if somebody pays it back in two weeks. And if they don't, it's 521%. That's the rate, the APR that people who need access to cash the most don't get it. And so if you widen the aperture and you see that, wow, 90% of Americans over the last 40 years their wages, their real wage growth has only been 26%, but mine, because I'm in the top 1%, has been 100 and, you know, when you know that, then you're less likely to be judgmental and say, oh, they just didn't get it together. If you do the analytics and say, oh, but the cost of education is increasingly beyond their reach or the cost of healthcare and, 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 and medical care costs is, is just exorbitant, there's a reason why this happened. So I think that we are often as strong as our weakest link. So it behooves all of us to pay attention to this broader challenge um, for sure. And so I believe that we can, and, and that my call out would be to anybody who has been successful and you've profited. Now we can go from profit to purpose. And what do you do to make a difference? And I don't think it's rocket science. We just need the minds and, 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 and intelligence. And, and the will to make a difference for a broader swath of people. And um, by the way, the person, well, as I have another view, but I'll stop there. No, listen, I think it's very, I think it's very well said, but you have another view, please share it. 
Um, the person who's struggling in the Appalachian Mountains are struggling with some of the same thing as individuals that might be in inner city that are struggling. At the end of the day, they need to have the income that's livable and they wanna provide for their families. Now, there's some other things that are going on that might give people advantages, but I believe that your current level of wealth does not define and determine your worth or your worthiness to become more financially healthy. And I think that the capital markets can really offer um, some results. For example, if we, we find some creative ways, I used to buy these structures where there's a first loss. So if there's catalytic capital and, you, and there's foundation dollars, just put up a first loss of 5% or 10% against fairly priced loans so the capital markets can come in and offer attractive returns in an environment where yields are, are so low globally. In a space where ESG trends are increasing at a time where there aren't very many impactful attractive returns being offered in the fixed income space. So I think we can create win-win-win solutions using catalytic and competitive capital. Well, listen, I, I, I not only do I agree with you, the, the other thing that often offends me is when people tell me, well, the people aren't looking for jobs because they were getting welfare, and so therefore it, it's more cost-effective to stay at home. There might be a fraction of those people. I'm not suggesting otherwise we have millions of people in our society, but I grew up in a blue collar neighborhood. People, my neighbor wanted to work. They got they dignity work. to work. Exactly. And so when I hear somebody giving me that nonsense spiel, it's usually someone that has a platinum spoon in their mouth that never had an hourly job or, or lived with people that had hourly wages. So, uh, but yeah. I hear it and I, and I agree with you. I get to turn it over to John and let him, let him ask some questions there. And, He's sitting there looking perfect with the yeah. hair and everything. And since, I, and since Val called you perfect, you know, that's going to bother me after this salt talk is over. OK, you know that, you know. Thank you, Anthony. And and one other thing that we talked about. So you grew up in a blue collar area. My, my sister is a nurse. She went to Villanova. She goes to get a, a car. And I say, oh, what's your interest rate? And he said, it's a three year used car. Thirteen percent. Thirteen percent. Are you kidding me? At a time I get on the phone, I say triple C rated companies don't have. Return, um, aren't getting offers like this. Like really, the next day he comes back to her and says, oh, we'll do it at 9%. So we need more people that are advocating for hardworking Americans, I believe. Um, well, 9% is still high for that loan. 9% you know is still high. Especially the when they've got the security of the car and they've probably got a personal guarantee from your sis who's got a, a, who's got a full-time job. But this is the reason why a lot of these neo banks are working and why Skybridge, frankly, is an investor in a lot of these banks, because yeah. they're going to disintermediate all that nonsense and you're going to help them do it. But go exactly. ahead, Darcy. I know you're dying to ask the questions here. Go ahead. Look at those teeth coming now. Go ahead, Darcy. Fire away. <laughs> well, since you're so focused on the generational aspects, Anthony, I'll start there. You talked about your brother, the differences in terms of the way he views the financial system versus you know, your kids potentially. What differences do you observe generationally and, and what trends are you seeing among younger people and the way they think about financial well-being that might be different from an older generation? Wow. Oh, that's a really good question in so many different ways. One, um, I love this younger generation. They still don't trust. They don't trust the larger 
um, financial institutions. Uh, crypto is leveling playing fields. We haven't even talked about crypto, but I believe that the younger generation is willing to take more risk. And I love that. And I believe that they are calculated risk. I think that the younger generations, they care a lot about what matters. And, and they're less likely to want to walk the straight line and say, I'm going to do what I was told to do, but they think outside of the line and, and they're independent thinkers and say, no, I don't want to do that. My daughter, my daughter once said, mom, I don't, this guy said I work so that I can live. Who wants to do that? Why don't you live so you can work at something you really love? So this notion that why don't you try to find something that you enjoy and how do you give back comes up over and over and over again. And naturally you have, to, I mean, I, I came in the, but anyway, this younger generation, I find one, they, um, they're more open. They've seen more things. Think about the, you asked the question earlier, Anthony, did, did, did our generation get it completely wrong? We were just closed and very narrow. Like the number of gay and lesbian acceptance conversations that happen with the millennials seems to be much greater than it happened during our day. The millennials are much more diverse and they are much more accepting of interracial thank marriages or thank God, thank, thank God for that. Exactly. Then we do. Then we have. They care and they want to buy from companies that are doing things that um, the right way. They care about the environment. They're a force to be reckoned with. Even something like tattoos. I'm not a fan, just to be clear, of tattoos. <laughs> but if you are going to work with the younger generation, you have to keep your mind open because the majority have or will have something on their body. So you talked about return expectations, Val. I want to dig into that a little bit more. So there's, there's all kinds of memes that go around on social media about, you know, investment returns and, and millennials and Gen Z, you know, there's these, these massive price appreciation events that are taking place within cryptocurrencies, within technology companies, fintech companies, a lot of different sectors. And it's almost like this this old way of investing uh, and even index investing that was in vogue, you know, for a lot of the 2000s um, seems to be going out the window because people are chasing these massive returns, you know, because maybe largely an environment created by easy money, low interest rates. Do you think, you know, first of all, what do you think return expectations for investors should be going forward? And do you think this era of outsized returns among technology stocks among cryptocurrencies and other speculative assets. Do you think that will continue for a longer period of time? Or do you think maybe that younger generation is in for a, an expensive education here at some point? That's a very good question. For one, I think that um, I think that the stock market is overvalued and we're going to see a major correction. So if now, millennials- now can we re-record this? And every time I ask a question, can you say it's a very good question? <laughs> yes, we can Mind? do that. Yeah, absolutely. So keep going. That's okay. Yes. Just, just part of the John Darcy, Anthony Scaramucci comedy act. Okay, keep going. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, yes, equity. I think that equity valuations are extended. Let's think about the, the basic asset classes. Bonds have come down so low. It's not a great place to be. And going forward, the returns are likely to be negative. Stocks 
are overvalued. There's going to be a correction. I do believe that the economy is going to get a big boost. So there may be a near-term rally, but we're going to have some changes in the tax. This is my philosophy. We're going to have changes in the tax law that's going to weigh heavily on, excuse me, the earnings. And as earnings go, prices typically go. And so I think we're going to have a, a correction. The multiples are still quite high. Interest rates are going higher. So we're going to have a correction. Crypto markets is still quite nascent and corporations are starting to move into the crypto world. I think that as assets go, that's going to be a really attractive one. I think real estate is going to continue to be an attractive one outside of the commercial because many companies are rethinking who's going to come back and do we really need this space? And so what I think is really interesting and I'm excited about in the younger uh, generation is that they're curious and they're getting involved with investments. And in the crypto world, i.e. Ethereum and Bitcoin, it gives much more access to people who would not ordinarily have access to have some upside. And I happen to believe that it's not just an, um, a gamble. I think that there's going to, I think that both will have some legs. Right, so let's dig into crypto a little bit more. You think that there's there's upside to be had in Bitcoin and Ethereum are the two sort of bellwether uh, players now in the crypto world. You have a lot of speculative crypto assets that are also performing well uh, at various times around them. Uh, but you think this is part of a larger movement. Why do you think uh, this is part of a larger movement? And, and you know, let's say five or 10 years down the road, do you think we're going to see a major disintermediation of the entire financial system and the traditional banking system? I don't think you... it'll I don't think it'll be a major disintermediation. I think that I think that it is a significant force that people are ignoring and not taking the time to learn. And yet millennials and more diverse communities are paying attention to. It's 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 sort of like a freedom project for some. Um, right. Again, because it's global, because uh um, because it's easy to get access to. You don't have to have a certain income level to be able to invest and to get outsized returns. It's getting attention. I do think that there's going to be a correction there as well. It does. Every so often, there's going to be a sell-off, and that sell-off, I think, is an opportunity to buy. I do believe that um, Bitcoin has um, legs, and I think Ethereum and Polkadot and other uh, uh, the other other platforms where you can build on some functionality has a place in our investment world and will have a place in um, um, in practical use. It's actually pretty fascinating. Well, you've obviously done your homework on the crypto space, uh, talking about a few of those protocols and projects. Um, we're very interested in the space as well, as you may know. Having yeah. invested a significant amount of money in a Bitcoin uh, with, with potentially other projects in the pipeline that I can't talk in a more concrete way about. But, uh, I, I'll, I'll name a few that you should probably pay attention yeah. to. Rally, I think, is really fascinating because of the way that it empowers the creators. I think Falcon X is really sweet because Falcon X is giving the institutional answer to Coinbase. And it's just a matter of time before more institutions start to pay attention to it. Yep. Um, I know of some, yeah, I, I, I do think that there is a world in crypto. And if you think about the fact that there's been so much money supply, 
sometimes I hear people talk about the money supply and the fact that we put a lot of money into the in, into the economy and therefore we're going to have inflation. That didn't happen during the financial crisis. So money in, uh, money coming into the system does not necessarily translate into inflation. You've got to have the demand. You've got to have people who want to spend. And right. I think that that's going to happen now. So when you think about inflation and you think about where the stock market is and you think about where the bond market is right now, you aren't likely to get very attractive real returns in stocks or bonds. But I do think you'll get it in this store of value of Bitcoin. And uh, I do think that real estate, residential real estate will continue to rally. So that's why I like that as an asset class. And what I love about the younger generation is that they're open to learning about and uh, supporting. All right, Val, you're an enlightened boomer. That that's great to to have uh, you know people like you on the show because again we're we're very sort of bullish on the asset class. Uh, last question. It's it's another question about macro investment trends. So you're a professional investor with one of the you know, most famous and and high performing groups, Wellington, on the planet. And so you've obviously, in addition, all the all the work you're doing, sort of on the impact side, you're you're trained as an investor. What other macro investment trends? You talked about the fact that you think the stock market uh, at large is somewhat overvalued, but are there any other investment trends outside of crypto that you're particularly bullish on? For example, you know we also really like the fintech sector more generally outside of even crypto. We've invested in some neo-banking businesses, as Anthony mentioned, uh, like a Chime um, that's that's creating a better experience for especially if people are on the, on the lower income threshold. Uh, we've invested in Klarna, which is in the buy now, pay later space which is reimagining credit in a way that's less you know, destructive for the average consumer. Uh, we've also are very bullish on the life sciences sector and are raising a fund to invest in early stage, a sort of pro- programmable biology is the general theme. But what areas of the market uh, from a macro perspective are you most bullish on? I love the fintech space, which is why I'm going into it. You guys should invest in us after we go for our next round. We had a- um, We'd love to take a look. Yeah, we were oversubscribed. Um, for our seed round. So we'll come back to you when we execute. Um, um, I think AI is going to be pretty interesting. Um, If you talk to technologists, uh, CIOs of companies, they've talked about it, but they haven't done anything. It's only about a third of companies that have talked about it have actually put it into practice. And so I think being thoughtful about um, how that AI is used from a customer engagement perspective is sort of interesting. Um, I think that I think that you don't do a lot in the real estate space, but I do think that there's a lot of, I think there's a lot going to happen there and in the creative real estate. So this is a little early, but um, I think that 3D printing is going to be a really fascinating area because some housing costs have gotten too crazy and there's some creative ways to create green structures that are also um, affordable. Um, Other broader trends, I think that what's, 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 what's driven the stock market recently is going, we're going to see a shift from tech to value within the space, um, longer term macro trends. I think you're in it. It's, it's for me, it's FinTech, it's ESG. So you take something like a Bombas, 
people care about the fact that the socks that you buy a sock and it's going to go to a homeless, then it's going to be underwear and then it's going to be other. And so because women and millennials care about companies that are compassionate, they care about companies that are going to help the green space or help with social SG and ES and G, I think is going to be all the rave going forward in terms of broader trends. One of the things that we did at Wellington is identify the greening of America long before this happened. We called out the fact that the auto sector was likely to implode because the world was getting increasingly flat and no one was paying attention to the OPEB liabilities. I think that's a huge trend. I think that um, this wealth inequality is going to show up in a lot of places, which is why the FinTech, these FinTech neobanks are, are thriving because millennials and others are thinking about, I don't wanna do things the old way and I wanna to try to invest. So I love that space. Um, another really space that I'm really excited about is, is uh, cyber, cybersecurity from a macro space. There's a, there's a, there's a technology out there called quantum um, physics where in the keys on the end of the um, lock on the end of the chains, instead of being math based so that it can be tackled by quantum computing, that it can be protected using physics. And I find that really fascinating. So there's gonna be a real need for the crypto space of who's out there, who's innovating, I think is, is, is important. Well, Val, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on Salt Talks. Anthony, I want to kick it to you if you have a final word for, for Val before we let her go. No, listen, I think it was I think it was fabulous. It's uh it's uh I hope we get you to our conference, Val. I hope we can uh hang out together when the pandemic ends. I, I really enjoyed it. I wish you great success in what you're working on. Hopefully, John and I and the Skybridge team and the SALT team will find ways to help. Yeah, that's great. I love what you're doing. And you know what else I like? I like that you admit your mistakes. You, well, know? you don't have enough time for my mistakes. Okay, there's a, no, there's a the, behind me. No, okay? I heard you on Clubhouse. Oh, that's the other thing. I would say another trend that I didn't mention is that the two really important trends is that you create a platform where you allow creators to earn money. So what's great about Clubhouse is that I heard you on Clubhouse. You were great, actually. You were great. You know what made you great is that you're authentic and you were being honest about your mistakes. Um, not only with Trump, but your mistakes in, in life and 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 in with your with your marriage and your relationships and what really matters. At the end of the day, individuals matter. And how you behave matters and being self-aware and saying I'm wrong or I made a mistake or I have the view, but just being authentically you is a beautiful thing. And so I'd love to go to the conference as well. And I just want to well, say, we'd, you love, we'd really, love to have really you. I, listen, I, I try to do that. And, you know, as John can tell you, I went through a very rough spot. Uh, but without that kind of level of acknowledgement and authenticity, you're not getting through it. So that's, exactly. my, mess, that's my message to younger people, Val. And I know, I know you're like that as well. So I am. And the other thing that I didn't say, one thing I love about the millennials, I think millennials are more willing to be just open. Like we were like closed. We didn't acknowledge, oh, I've got an issue here. Mental health is a big issue. This is mental health month. That's a trend. That's a trend. Investing companies that are going to help more people acknowledge that they struggled and then, and how do they get to the other side? I, I like what we're doing and we're trying to bring the financial planners together with the users like Uberizing uh, Financial Wellness. 
Um, I like that. And I oh, think, I think that that's brilliant. Really, excuse me? No, I think it's brilliant. You know, I, I think I, it's, it's going to work. And, and just because, and that's the other thing, just because I, I just think that we have to move forward with this notion that just because people have a different view doesn't mean they aren't good people. They just have a different view. And the more confident we are and who we are, we can say, I get it. You are whatever label you want to put on it. That's your view. It doesn't mean that you're a bad person. We just have to learn and be compassionate with ourselves along the way. I'm totally with you on that. All right. Well, we'll see you soon. Thank you. Thank you again. And thank you, everybody, for tuning in to today's SALT Talk with Valerie Mosley. Just a reminder, if you missed any part of this talk or any of our previous SALT Talks, you can access them on our website at salt.org backslash talks or on our YouTube channel, which is called SALT Tube. We're also on social media. Twitter is where we're most active at SALT Conference, uh, but we're also on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook as well. And please spread the word about these SALT Talks. We love, especially when we focus on Uh, these concepts around impact investing, fintech, and ways that we can create uh, greater equity in our society uh, through technology and through uh, deployment of capital. We love educating people on those subjects. Uh, But on behalf of Anthony and the entire SALT team, this is John Darcy signing off from SALT Talks for today. We hope to see you back here again soon.